You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. My friend Jennifer and I are sitting here in my little closet to record and she came over to share some things that have been on her heart about practical tips and practical life of raising a big family. And I know she's got a lot written down and I hope we can just jump in and, and glean from her knowledge and years of experience. First, I'm just going to ask you, Jennifer, to introduce your family. Well, I have 10 children. My husband is named Jason, and I have 10 children ages 18 through about three. Um, and I had one about every one and a half to two years and a few miscarriages in between. Um, so that's my family. Which keeps you very busy. Yes. I'll also say that when we moved here to Tennessee, you guys were the very first people to come and meet us and help us unload our truck. And you brought us apples and a watermelon and, and just made us feel so welcome. And so that's another part of the story and how I got to meet you. And I was so impressed when I found out that you guys were a musical family. And I'm going to make sure I link your YouTube channel and all this stuff. But that definitely factors in to how you manage a busy home at all the things that you do. And that's part of it. So, okay, so we're going to get into practical tips. And um, do you want to just start with a list or, or what does your week look like at your house? Well, we have, we have kind of a flexible schedule. So one of the things that really stood out to me as I was thinking about things to share with a family of a lot of children is that instead of doing everything, I think I've tried like all different schedules throughout homeschooling. I'm sure you have too. And I was so detailed sometimes where like I would have every 15 to 30 minutes planned out and tried to be strict, but it always ended up in just being a failure and I, we would end up crying or fighting or it just didn't turn out well for our family because I guess I'm kind of organized, but I'm not a total type A personality that I can't keep up with that for everybody. So what we ended up doing is, well, one thing is that we do a lot of like history and science I do together with like high school through six-year-olds. And even the little ones just sit on the floor and listen, even though they might not know what's going on. I mean, I'm sure you might do that as yeah, well. Yeah, that's what well, we don't right now, but we did historically, historically we did. <laughs> Yeah, I've still had a good season for that. Yeah. Um, so that would be one thing. And then another thing is that we would do things more in time blocks. So we know um, in our general family schedule, in order to be musical, you have to put time in. We've learned that you really have to work hard if you want to be a good musician. And that was one of our family goals. And, and our children have all wanted to do that. So we always, like everybody wakes up who's able to read. They, we first have our Bible times and then they go right into their music practice. Um, we find that if you just get on your instrument and practice right away while you're fresh, that you'll gain more ground and your practice will be more purposeful. So we, we purposely do that. And then we break for breakfast. Then we have Bible time. So those are all pretty consistent. But then for the rest of the day, I just have each of the children have a big a checklist of the things that they need to do. Not too many, many things because I don't want to overwhelm them, but making sure that they touch on each subject that they need to do each day. And it's more in like a time block. And as they're older, they are more responsible for their own schedule. 
and the younger ones I kind of got along a little bit more but we don't have as many like basic like we're gonna do this at 10 a.m. type schedule other than the food is all planned at certain times <laughs> but you have like objectives like these are the objectives that you'll accomplish today and if they get um, mixed around and moved to different parts of the day it's okay as long as those objectives are hit for the day hopefully and do you have it posted up on the wall or like your older children they probably visually go through and read the schedule and know how they can manage the day where the younger ones do need a little bit more they don't have the freedom to say as long as you accomplish it by the end of the yeah. day I'm good you actually probably have to to give them a little more instruction yeah that's true so with the we have a checklist like all the way up to my 10th grader everybody has a checklist where they just mark off what they do through the day but then it also provides them with a little framework for what they need to do and then I read the Terry Maxwell book about being manager of their chores a long time ago maybe like I wondered <laughs> yeah I wondered that was the one with the little time blocks of the 30 minute each yes. thing keepers of their homes managers of their homes yes mm -hmm. and I I don't I don't do it perfectly because I was, well, when I read it, I was trying to do everything just as she said and like make all these like really lovely cards that had pictures on them and everything to be visual aids for the kids. And then my husband was like, just write the cards. You just got to get this thing started. So then we first did a system with the, with, they're with name tag badges basically. And you just put cards in and the kids flip the cards as they do things throughout the day. And I would try to order them, but then we switched to just, now, as the kids have gotten older, the, you know, like the 10 through 15 year olds aren't really thrilled about wearing around a name tag with, with chores in them. So I just write it down on a list for, for them. Okay, we did the same thing. And so I picture it in my mind exactly what you're talking about. I believe they were called chore packs. Yeah. And, and so like a little plastic um, name tag holder on a lanyard and you did a bunch of little cards with different tasks inside so that they wouldn't get distracted. In fact, I have a child I maybe want to start doing that with again, come to think of it. But uh, so they would eat, they would never not know what they were supposed to do. They could just go grab that next uh, thing out of their chore pack. But I, like you, have found that through the years, our families change, the dynamics change, all sorts of I mean, life changes. And the other thing I find is that it gets boring to do. Like if we were, if we were 10 years later, still doing the same chore system, it gets boring and we need to liven it up a little bit. We need to make things more interesting. So I can think one of the things we did, um, I would look at this massive list of chores that we had to do and I would break it down sometimes into bingo cards and I would write everything out on different cards, give them to all my children and let them fill out the bingo and see who got there. Sometimes we'd play oh, for, yeah, sometimes we'd go like for five across, but sometimes I'd make them do blackout bingo, which meant everything ha had to get done. And uh, sometimes I would get index cards out and I, on, on the left side of the card, I'd write the task that needed done. And on the right hand side, I might put um, a verbal uh, accolade or I might have like a prize of you know M&Ms or free time or some special thing and then I would cut those index cards in different strange patterns and I would hand out the chores that needed to be done and then I would put all the prizes in a box and they didn't know which 
was going to have the good prizes attached to what chore. So they would get as many of the chore tasks accomplished. And, and like a couple of my children would just get one task and they're like, well, I hope I got a good prize for this. But some of them got really ambitious and would be like, give me more, give me more. Uh, I, I want to have my best chances to get the best prizes out of the prize box. And they wouldn't know until they went to go match their chore card with the prize in a puzzle-like fashion to know what the benefit was at the end of the day. So always, <laughs> always thinking of what can we do to make this interesting to get our children involved? Mm -hmm. We use chore pack surprises. So we just have a weekly checklist. Well, I think there's seven spots, So, but we only use it for school days. But after they finish their whole checklist, they get to have one check mark, and then they get to go to the chore pack surprise box and pick something. The only problem is that I, I have a hard time coming up with good prizes. And my yeah. kids seem to gravitate most towards candy. <laughs> I, can't, I don't want them to eat that much sugar. <laughs> that is mine, too. I went through the effort of making these great little prize boxes for this family store at the end of the week. And I, I would find things on clearance, you know, and just yep. kind of fill that prize box with clearance. But then I'd make coupons for like a can of soda pop. And that's always what they got. That's always what they gravitated to. So, yeah, I figured I just wouldn't replace the candy once we go through this round of candy because I did go to the dollar store and buy some better prizes this week. I think they're better prizes. But my older ones, well, I finally just kicked the high schoolers out of it. They should be able to go through their whole checklist without me reminding them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're kind of rewarding them. Okay, so you're expecting in your house, because you do homeschool, obviously, they have a list they have to accomplish, which is their school. But I imagine you have other things for household that you expect as well. And that it seems like a really big set of responsibilities and a lot of stuff for a child to manage. But how do you how do you work through that with them? Um, well, I think we just try to expect a lot of them, but not, I try to gauge it based on the child's age and everything. But I think sometimes if we present our children with some really admirable goals, it also gives them encouragement that we know they can accomplish it. If we never had any expectations for our children, like why bother, right? I mean, don't you feel mm -hmm. good? I feel good when I check off my list when I know I've accomplished something. And I think we're handing our children opportunity to be proud of the accomplishments that they've made when we do set a standard and set things to reach for as goals. Yeah, definitely. So for chore-wise, chore, chore wise, for us, I just try to make it realistic. Like each day, each child has something they could do around the house, even down to the little one. Like our little Elizabeth is two and she takes all the cups out of the dishwasher and puts them away. And she is more willing and desirous of helping than her older siblings generally. So she'll do all that right away as soon as the dishwasher is done. But our four-year-old under unloads the rest of the dishwasher. I think sometimes we as parents like don't want to put too much on our kid kids, but I think they really thrive when you expect something of them and they want to help. Like even just folding washcloths or whatever. They want to help. Um, we just have to, I think we need to start early. We know that many hands make light work. And also just be willing to assign them things, but then guide them along. Like I remember in Managers of Their Home, she talks about how you need to 
train your children to do chores. So don't just say, Matthew, go clean the bathroom, but you need to walk him through that in that process. And then ro we rotate through all the chores eventually, although we sit with chores for like a year. Generally, the kids have responsibilities every day, and that goes on for about a year until the kids start saying, Mom, are we, when are we going to change chores? <laughs> I don't really want to clean the bathroom anymore. Do you think I could do the vacuuming? Right. I think I've got this down. I don't need to be that much of an expert in it. But nobody wants to sweep in our house. They don't That's mind funny. the bathroom cleaning, but nobody wants to sweep. That's funny. You know, one time a few months ago, I took a video or a picture of my son walking the garbage can down to the end of the road for me. He was so proud of himself that he could roll it. I mean, he could roll it down to the end and I walked with him the whole way and gave him words of encouragement and he loved it. I went and posted that on Instagram with the hashtag chores or children and chores or something. And I got so much flack. I was really surprised. And um, some of the comments that this, this one person came about was that it is mere abuse to ask your children to do a chore. And I was so surprised because that's not what I see or think. And I see that we are giving our children skills. And I wonder sometimes, because I do know there's an element of people who are against children and chores. I didn't know that before. Now I do. <laughs> yeah. But I I think to myself, what do we expect as adult, as parents to, how do we pass that baton to our children? Like you said, you can't just say, hey, go clean the bathroom and not teach them how to do it. So we can't expect our children to do nothing in the house until they are adults. And, and then at 18, you pass them this baton and say, hey, you're an adult now. Go out and live a good life. Uh, take care of all the things you need to take care of to run your household. And, and I think we see that in our world. A lot of young adults, I've heard there's colleges that teach adulting 101 classes that, that teach them how to run a washing machine, how to wash dishes, how to do some of these very basic things where by instilling that in our children when they're young and even a joy to it when they're young, how much more we're preparing them for their life as adults and, and what a gift it is. Mm -hmm. Well, even just to be a servant, like Jesus wants us to be like him, which he came to serve, you know, not to be served. So that's an opportunity for them to, to gift someone or to love your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it also is really important, I think, to teach the kids responsibility in these days when the other children in their generation aren't learning it. You know, like they're just being handed things and have this entitlement attitude. I really want my kids to take responsibility. And that reminds me of one other thing I was going to talk about. I wanted to share a little bit about discipline. I was just kind of thinking about, okay, what's something that we've done? You know, we're still in the process of all this. I have a two-year-old. So we're still going through all this. Um, but one of the things that really impacted us early on in our parenting was a parenting course that we took at our church called Entrusted with a Child's Heart. And the teacher there just talk about, talked about um, disciplining your children full circle, which basically means teaching them, like, when someone sins, like a child sins against another child and there's a fight, you separate out the children who have sinned. Like, you don't, you don't rebuke them in public. You praise them in public and 
you you train them or teach them what they've done wrong in private. So we typically when something happens, which is daily, we have the children go to separate either bathrooms or bedrooms or just to separate and from each other, but also just from whatever the situation is. Um, and then we go, I go by myself to talk with them and counsel them through through what's happened. And sometimes this results in a spanking for direct disobedience, but other times it's more just helping them to think. So what we typically do is we go in and we make sure that they understand how they have sinned. Generally, what we see, and I guess I see this in myself spiritually, is that that even if I'm not the one maybe who started the fight, I still am often the one who, I'm still involved and I often sin back. And so I try to help the kids to assess themselves. Like I usually stop them before they just tell me all the things that their brother did wrong. I want them to stop and think, okay, I don't want to know what he did wrong. I'm going to go talk to him in a minute. But what did you do that was wrong? What did you do? Did you do something that was a sin against God? You know, like, and then talk through them with the Ten Commandments or with, you know, did you love your neighbor? Were you loving God through this? Even what were your thoughts like? And make sure that they understand if they sinned, what their sin was so that they can actually take responsibility. And then we lead them through like confessing, confessing what their sin was and well, identifying it and confessing it. And then dealing with that personally and praying. But then after that's done in reconciliation with the brother or sister, like going to them and saying, it was wrong when I blank, will you forgive me? Um, We just feel like it's really important to make sure that the child speaks and says that what they did was wrong. Like just saying, I'm sorry, that's a good start. But I think think when you can own your action, your wrong action, and, and say that you did something wrong, that's really important in, in discipline and growth and Christian training. Okay. So how does that look? So you, when that happens, you send them each to two separate rooms. You go and talk to one. I'm curious what's happening to the one who's on, who's waiting for you. You probably, I would choose the younger one to talk to first, probably. And the older one of the two is in their own room, just waiting for you to come in. And then When you finish with that first one, do you immediately take them over to talk to their sibling or do you have that first one maybe set aside so you can talk it through with the second one and then call that, call, call a meeting when they've both, you've talked to both of them? Yes. I go, I put the second, the first one waits Mm -hmm. while I go and talk with the second one so that the first one can kind of think about what's going on and they know that now they're okay with the Lord, but they've got to make things right with their sibling. And then I go and work it out with the sibling. Sometimes, too, when they separate and they're old enough, like whoever's the most upset, I usually leave alone longer so they have a little bit of time to settle down and to think about it so that we can actually have a conversation about whatever happened and then decide the consequence, too. I guess I didn't really, I kind of skipped over consequences. But I think even the idea that, you know, how many times do things just fester in our homes that um, there's unresolved conflict in the home? And when we have that unresolved conflict, I think it affects the peace and Mm -hmm. the joy and all these other things that that our desire would be to live at peace with all men, to live at peace with our home. And so... I, I'm sure it does. Does this not sound? I'm sure everybody listening, that sounds really time consuming. But 
I also understand that the long gain in the home is that as we work with these things through, yes, it is time consuming, but in the end, it will give you peace. Mm-hmm. You could definitely see it as the kids get older, you know, the, the ones who struggle so much with standing against their brother when they're young, I mean, they still do when they get older, but you can see that they've, they have internalized some of the process and, but spiritually internalize it as they become stronger in their walk with the Lord, where they're able to go to their brother and realize like, wow, I sinned against you. I am really sorry that I said that about you or I had that attitude towards you. A really great curriculum that we have used. A friend told us about it and then she said she just goes through it with her kids every year, but it was called The Young Peacemaker by Ken and Corlett Sandy. I think was their yeah, name. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think. And we have gone through that a few times and it just, it's a great conflict resolution, a biblical conflict resolution curriculum to go through with your kids to teach them how to deal with conflict instead of just saying, no, you shouldn't be getting angry with one another. No, I don't want you to have that root of bitterness, but actually talking through like what the, what the response should be and how to know what to do. A lot of the one that comes up very often in our home with the littler ones is just, they just don't know how to communicate how to get through a conflict. They get so upset. And one of the things is just, they say, get help. You know, like one of the options in conflict is that you can just go and get help. So instead of them pulling at that toy or hitting their sister, they should just leave the room and come and get help. It's a little bit to tease through whether they're being tattletales or not. So we have to kind of teach about what that means, but that curriculum teaches very well about that as well. So as you have children in their teen years now, the conflicts do look different than when they're little. And do you see a difference in your teenagers, whereas before you had to set them down each in their room, walk through those conflicts, and then call them in for resolution. Do you sometimes now see that your teenagers, when they have a conflict, they just simply work through it on their own and you don't even need to be part of that? Maybe sometimes. And sometimes they still need guidance for sure. Right, right. And sometimes they might even do it and you don't even know. Right. Because they have learned that skill to be able to take care of it on their own. So I, I think that this is a great foundation for marriage in their future. And it makes me think of the things we do as parents and the time we invest with them as their children can actually walk into their future. Even we may be doing things that help them in their marriages someday down the road, which is fantastic. So also on that lines with marriage, if we just jump into that, I know we want to talk about how you can support your husband in marriage. Um, I don't know if this is, we, we might just talk for a while jumping all over. Yeah, <laughs> this is a completely different topic. It's a completely different it's topic. It's a good one, but, an important one. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really was thinking about as I was thinking about preparing for this that I wanted to share with young moms or, or old moms around was just how important it is that we support our husbands and that we respect him. A pastor said early on when we had first gotten married, I think it was in a sermon series or something, he was just talking about how important it is to not go under the guise of that you want to pray for your husband. And so then you go and talk to all your girlfriends about everything that your husband does wrong and kind of belittle him because you want to pray for him with your friends. But rather, you should be building up your husband to others And you should also, like, if you have a problem or if something is going wrong, you should 
maybe confide in an older, you know, an older, mature Christian woman with the purpose of her guiding you into how to reconcile the situation, not with the purpose of, you know, you know in your heart whether or not what you're saying is to build up your husband or if it's just because you want somebody to feel sorry for you. You didn't call her in to commiserate with you and to 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 build on it and and steep in this, but to bring you out of it and help you know how to reconcile or how to move forward biblically. Mm -hmm. Early in our marriage, I remember thinking, what does it really look like to respect your husband in practical terms? And I thought, well, yeah, I respect my husband. He goes to work every day, whatever. But when I was at a conference one time, someone spoke it like this. They said, you know, you could be standing there with your husband and he's telling a story. He's telling somebody, you know, we went over there um, two weekends ago and we were doing this thing and I may correct him and go, no, honey, yeah, interrupt and correct him and say, no, 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 it wasn't two weekends ago. It was three weekends ago. And then he's like, how many times do you see people go, well, no, it was two weeks ago. No, it was three weeks (laughs) ago. And Really, what doesn't matter? It doesn't matter at all if it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It, it it doesn't really make that big of a difference in the story, you know? So sometimes in the real practical sense, when we correct our husband in front of other people, it it, it is demeaning. It is not respecting them where we can just know that it's not a place that it's, it doesn't really matter. Well, and even when we do it in front of our children, then that causes them to respect their dads less, and that can be a real problem. Right. Right. So many times we can just hold our tongue and let it pass, and there's just no reason to go on with about, even though you know you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love is more important than being right. Correct. Right. And if it's really important, like, then when you're alone later, if you can never find time to be alone with your husband then you can talk to him about whatever the issue was if it really is still very important. Right. You know? Yeah. Another anyway. thing I was thinking about with husbands is just, um, I think Stormy O'Marcian Mar- or whatever said it in her book. The Power of a Praying Wife. <laughs> the Power of a Praying Wife. That you should pray diligently for your husband daily. You and his mom might be the only people who are praying for him. And maybe not his mom if she's not a believer. So we need to be diligent about praying for our husbands and building them up. I think that was just a powerful reminder to me. Yeah. I want to jump back a little bit to getting along with siblings. So you told me that your parents had taught you something when you were a child that's carried on into your parenting. Yes. Well, one thing that I remember them teaching me was that you never say, I hate my sibling. Like, I hate my brother. And so then when I went to school when I was a kid and I saw, I heard other people saying that, I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, why would you hate your brother? So I was thinking of that. Another thing that my mom always taught me was that it doesn't matter who started it. <laughs> my parents said that. doesn't matter who started it. You finish it. <laughs> or you're all in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so some of the standards around our house that I was thinking about that we kind of just expect of our children. And I we, I don't know if we ever really explicitly said it. And, and things come up, you know, certainly not a quiet, perfect household. But one of the things was we don't scream throughout the house, although I would say sometimes we do run throughout the house, and I'm not always crazy about that. Work on not interrupting. 
we had some friends who were so diligent about teaching their kids this. They had like big prizes. I guess it was a real pet peeve. They would give their kids like nice watches if they could go for like two months without interrupting. We haven't gone to that extreme, but we do sometimes like have a ball at the dinner table that you have to pass around and you can only talk if you're holding the ball. But I think that's an important concept to learn. Because, I mean, I know I, I didn't even realize that I was being guilty of doing that, but I had been. Sometimes there's so much to say. Yeah. <laughs> when we have so much to say, it's hard to keep it still. And I will say that another thing I learned about that, if you know basic sign language, even the alphabet, that I learned that if you have something to say um, and you, you feel like you've got to say it because if you don't say it, you'll forget it, right? So if we're talking about something and I really want to interject into what you have to say, if I can just remember the first word of, say, I'm, I want to remember to tell you a story about water balloons and you're talking, if I put in my hand the sign language for W for water balloon and just kind of keep it down next to my side or behind my back. And then when you're finally done speaking, I look down and I'm like, oh, W, what was it that I was? Oh, I know. I was going to tell her about water balloons. So it just allows me to know that I have a thought to give me a little trigger to help me not forget my thought, but honor you by allowing you to complete not to jump in on my own. That's good. One of the things that um, we do with our littler ones, and you probably have done this with yours too, if they want to come, like while I'm, especially while I'm talking to an adult or another children during school, is that they're supposed to come over and they touch my hand, and then I put my hand on top of theirs if I'm talking, and then, and then once I'm done talking with the person, then I say, "Yes, Timothy, what did you need?" or whatever, and they're supposed to wait until after, until I address them. I think we've read some of the same books because (laughs) we did the same thing. We used the shoulder. So if I was talking, they'd put their hand on my shoulder. And then the reason um, that I put my hand on theirs or you put your hand on their hand is so that they know I've acknowledged. Yes, I did feel you touch my hand or my shoulder. And I do know that you're waiting to talk. And I'm acknowledging, yes, that I heard you. And when it is appropriate, I will pass the baton to you. Mm-hmm. And I think my children use that 20 years, you know, even an adult child. If I'm my, my adult child comes over to my house and I'm talking to somebody or doing something, they will put their hand on my shoulder just to indicate, hey, when you have a second, let's talk. Well, I guess that works in marriage, too. You know, like as they're adults and being in conversations with yeah. others when their spouse is around. Yeah. Let's jump in again, and you tell me about how you've worked to keep your children's hearts and why that's important. Mm -hmm. We just really feel like it's so important to have their hearts turned towards us, I guess is what the term was that we heard. Just because we want to really keep our relationship with them open so that they're coming to us to talk about their struggles or their victories or their challenges. Um, I know growing up, I went to a public school and I um, had a lot of good friends and some friendships still until now, but I, I devoted so much time and energy to those friends that a lot of it, I don't think my parents really knew what was going on in my life. And I kind of regret that now, now that I am, have a deeper relationship with them. But I think one thing with, because our kids are homeschooled and we're with them all the time, 
we have that opportunity to be their sounding board and for them to interact with us. Now, with a lot of children, as you know, it's kind of hard to always be interacting because there's so many and everybody has different needs at different levels. Um, so one of the ways that we've found to deal with that a little bit is that we try to do a weekly date. So we alternate. So last night I had a date with Joshua, our four-year-old. And, you know, for him, it's just like we did puzzles with the ABCs and we got to have ice cream and we just had some conversations. He told me about music that he likes and you know, that was sweet. But then with the older ones, when we have those dates, it's a little bit like Jason will go play racquetball with the kids and then have ice cream and then just have more deep chat usually. So it's, it's just one night a week, but it's like the opportunity where the kids know, okay, mom and dad are, are available for just me. Now, the only problem is because we have so many children that that only comes according to my daughter. She only gets to hang out with my husband every 18 weeks. <laughs> I wondered how that worked. Do you combine date nights uh, or is it supposed well, to be exclusive? No, sometimes we kind of load them up. Like we haven't had them in a long time. So right now we're doing, we had one last night. We're having one tonight and one tomorrow night. <laughs> so we can kind of crank them out. Because otherwise it would be one night a week you're doing a date night and one day a week your husband's doing one. Right. So somebody is kind of, you're rotating through somebody on the order. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then another thing that I think we learned from the Duggars is about heart to hearts. And it basically is just a time we, I wish we would do these more regularly, but it's just a time when mom and dad are kind of available, hanging out in their room a few hours, like on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon where the kids can feel free to come in knowing that we just want to, we just kind of both want to be there to listen to whoever wants to come in and share whatever. We're a little bit more, I think they just kind of hang out and are available, but we just kind of we kind of say, okay, Jeremiah, it's your turn. And then he comes in for 20 minutes and we make sure that we pray with them and try to guide them through a few questions. And mm -hmm. if they don't have anything they want to share, sometimes the older ones, they have things that they want to share and they just, they're ready for their heart to heart so they can have the conversation about that thing. When also we can follow up with things that we are holding them accountable to, you know, like if somebody is struggling with a certain sin or a relationship or a behavior that's an opportunity to check on them at a real intentional time. Sometimes the weeks go so quickly, you don't realize how it's been a month. It's been six weeks and you don't realize that you've had that. So you're being very intentional to build relationships and have those moments with your children. So even though you have a house full, each one is having personalized one-on-one -on -one attention. I've thought so a few times, um, it's often been the thing to, to get your children involved with lots of people outside of your home, finding mentors outside of the home. And sometimes I think that is uh, appropriate to find a mentor for your child in addition to the parents. But first and foremost, we as parents are the ones who are supposed to be speaking into our children. And I think in a very practical term, like we've been the whole time here, if our children only have outside influences as people speaking into them, be it a youth pastor or a neighbor or a friend or a friend's parent, when you look at the house and the child is here living in your home, 
you're the one who's dealing with the waves, the rippling effect and the consequences of things going on, either good or bad. So because they're in our home, we should be very um, active in celebrating the wins and encouraging them and being there to be a sounding board when there's questions and also a soft place to land when they have struggles. Yeah, anything we can do to to build that relationship and, and keep that communication going, I think is so important for mm-hmm. our lives and our families. And isn't it the way God works with us? I mean, he wants us to come to him as our, as our father. He wants us to share with him the heartaches and the successes and to be involved in our daily lives. And and then we see the the consequence of when we do not check in with him for a long time, there's fallout mm-hmm. if, if we've had a long absence of spending time with our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just urge all you moms, especially you young moms who I know are exhausted already, um, just find that you can find 30 minutes to be on Instagram or Facebook. Just Find a 30-minute block somewhere within your schedule, maybe an hour, to just spend time reading the Word and spend time with the Lord and spend time in prayer. He will He will provide you with strength when you do that, and He will provide you with His Spirit as you discipline and guide and teach your children. But I think it's so critical. I, I mean, I'm kind of an early morning wake-up person, so I usually like to get up and just start the day and be with the Lord, and I always... I would encourage you to try to do it before the babies wake up. I mean, unless they're newborns, but everybody else, I would try to get up before the little ones and spend time with the Lord yourself. And when mine were all little, I had such a hard time getting up early and setting time aside. As they grew up, I started to be able to do that more. And now I'm in this different phase where my youngest is eight years old And I can get up and I can spend time drinking my coffee and just meditating on the word. And then my grandchildren were here for two weeks. (laughs) Game changer. Reminded me of how hard it is to get up in the morning and and have that quiet time. You know, I sat down on the couch with my Bible and and then I get a Gaga, come look at this. Gaga, come yeah. see. And, and, or, or I wanted my daughter to be able to sleep in. And, and so I wanted to make sure I got breakfast for the children. And um, yeah, they, it, it, it is a game changer when you have little ones, yes. but we still find time. We still need that time. I know sometimes in our life as busy moms, we want to simplify and we don't want to add on anything extra. And sometimes it seems like spending time with the Lord is something extra that maybe we don't have time for. And what we need to remember and what I learned, and and I'm sure you did too, Jennifer, in your time as being a mom, is that spending time with the Lord is not extra. It is the power that we have. It is the mere, it is the basics. It's the power that we have to continue on and do those other things that we need to do. It's the foundation. It's not the extra. Yes. I'm reading a book right now called Speak Truth in Your Heart by Sarah Malley. She wrote another book called Making Brothers and Sisters Best Friends, Um, but she's grown now and married now, and she wrote this book, 
it's for young women. Um, but I was reading it to share it with my daughters. But then I thought, wow, you know, I'm really convicted by these scriptures. And I'm just being reminded of so many great truths that I want engrafted in my heart. So if you're looking for a good Bible study book, I would really recommend that one. I will link it. I'll find it and link it into the show notes. Well, we have been having so much fun chatting, and I realized that I'm going to go back and chop this podcast into two. So if you've enjoyed listening to Jennifer and I chat about this, you will want to come back to next week's episode when we talk about her family's music ministry. So before we leave, I'm going to direct you to their website, galasinskifamilyband.com. And also the ministry that they work with, reachingtheheartofzambia.org. And I will be linking those in the show notes. So make sure that you go check them out. You are going to be so encouraged by watching their family work together and seeing this family with a life well lived. So I'm just going to close us out with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for friendship and the people that you bring in our lives. I thank you for the way that you do teach us to live in unity with one another and in our families. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's rocky. And we always need your perspective to keep things creative and to grow us. Lord, I just pray that um, each of us, the ladies listening and also Jennifer and myself, that that we will have been encouraged to, to seek you and to follow you with our hearts, that we would be creative in the working with our children, that we would be steadfast in growing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today, and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.